Michelle, just kidding. Next week, okay? Next week. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Rosie, and I am the Young Adult Ministries Coordinator here at Antioch Brighton. Um, yeah. Also, co-leader of the Wednesday night women's Bible study. So all the women, again, you're still invited. Janice, Janice mentioned it, but we would love to have you in our life group. Um, but before I, I get started with the sermon today, I'm going to pray for us and just welcome the Holy Spirit in, and then we'll get to the Word. So just join me. Yeah. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you fill this room. And I, I just invite you, would you have your way in our hearts and in this message? Would my words be inspired by you? And anything that is not of you, would it just fall to the wayside? And would we remember what it is you want us to remember about your goodness, your faithfulness, and the extreme amazing thing that Jesus did for us when he came as a baby. Amen. Yeah, and so I get to be the person to give the first message of the Advent sermon series. And as Becky mentioned a little bit, Advent simply means the coming or arrival of something or someone that's notable. And the Advent season will take place over the next four weeks and really serve as a time where we can make space to meditate specifically on the story of Jesus' birth, the coming of the Messiah, and what that joyous, very much anticipated event meant for mankind. Now, while in our current culture, Christmas time can be very busy, and for some of us, it can actually be filled with sadness, you know, depending on what the holidays mean for you and your family history. But in the church, during this season, during Advent, we want to make it a season of reflection, celebration, preparation, and continued expectation of what it meant that Jesus came and what it means that he will come again. And I really do like consider it to be a gift to be born um, during this time of history and to be able to begin our Advent season with a pretty far out um, bird's eye view as we look at Matthew 1, 1 through 17. So if you want to take time now, get your phone out, get your Bible out, turn to Matthew 1. That's where we're going to spend time. And I'm not going to read it all through at the beginning. We're kind of going to take it chunk by chunk um, as we go. Okay, which basically it's what the band sang earlier, the genealogy of Jesus. So thank you guys for putting in the time to learn those names and, and get, them, get them said for us this morning to get us ready for what's to come. But what Matthew 1, 1 through 17 is, is a genealogy of Jesus, right? And there's a lot of significance to be pulled as we look at his, at his birth lineage. But one important aspect of its inclusion in Scripture is that it shows to all mankind that he is, in fact, the king they were waiting for, coming out of the line of David. And he came to earth as a man, right? So therefore, just like you, just like me, he has a family history. And a family history, like most of ours, that is filled or that is not free, actually, of pain, little scandal, you know, maybe even decisions that impacted the generations to come in positive and not-so-positive ways. So just like us and our families, 
the people in the lineage of Jesus made choices. And those choices impacted the generations that came after them. Decisions that we're going to learn impacted even us today. So before we dive in looking at different people, I do want to acknowledge that it can be easy for us, right, to go through the genealogy of Jesus, and we see these people, we read their names, we read their stories, and we think of them only as we know them today, right, these Hall of Fame sort of faith heroes of our faith. There's this whole chapter in Hebrews, chapter 11, if you haven't read it in a while, feel free to go back, look at it, but it's, it's come to be known as this, like, Hall of Faith, fame sort of listing of people. And, and some of them we're going to talk about today. Because they were people who, by faith, were obedient to God. And they didn't get to see the completion of the promises God made related to their yes. Again, we're born in this time in history, right? So we get the hindsight to know their yes was, quote-unquote, worth it, Right? to see that their yes to God's various invitations in fact did lead to the hope of the world, Jesus, the Messiah, coming through that lineage of David. But all of that's hindsight, right? They were obedient before they even knew. And today we're going to spend some time reflecting on their simple obedience and honor the effect that had on the many generations to come after them, including us. And my hope is that we actually see them, we see these people in his lineage for their humanity, not just for their Hall of Fame faith status that they have now. My hope is that we can actually see ourselves in their story because God is the God of the generations, including ours and the ones to come. Right? That same God that invited them to say yes to these big promises that he fulfilled many fulfilled, or fulfilled after their lifetime, is that same God that's speaking to us today, inviting us to have faith in his big promises, some of which will still come to pass even after our lifetimes. And I think it's been said before probably many times, so this isn't original, brace yourselves. Our yes to Jesus it's not all about us, right? Just as their yes was clearly not just about them. Because we serve a God of the generations. And so this listing of genealogy, like Matthew 1, 1 through 17, it provides us a really great structure to reflect back on all those before us whose simple obedience to the voice of God impacted the course of history for the world affecting all the generations after them. And now, I guess maybe thankfully for some of you, because you probably have plans, but we don't have time today to go through everyone in the genealogy, all right? Nor does the Bible actually give us this, like, in-depth explanation of each person that is listed. So today, we're just going to spend time on four, and four people in his family tree, hoping and aiming to glean, to glean wisdom on how to wait obediently for the promises of God. Because as each waited, what we're going to see is they were participatory. So waiting involves action. It's not a stagnant state. 
So we begin with Matthew 1, 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So son here simply means descendant, simple word. And now there had been numerous prophecies. And so description of what is a prophecy for this message, it's a, it's a message communicated by God to someone indicating that something is to come, right? So there had been many prophecies um, stating that the Messiah would come through the line of David. So the wording here is specific and telling that Jesus is the one that they had been waiting for. Starts out there, so hopefully people would keep reading or keep listening. And then it begins. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. So we're going to pause and look at Abraham, the father of our faith. But before he became known in history as this highly regarded person, right, he was Abram, a man simply living with his family who hears the audible voice of God inviting him to leave his home, take all his possessions, and go to a place God promises to show him. And God does promise to bless him, as we look at, this is in Genesis 12, 3, by saying that all peoples on earth will be blessed through him. So imagine the audible voice of God looking at Ab- or coming down to Abram and saying, take all your possessions, let's go. We're going to go to this place right? that I will show you. Now he was 75 when he heard the Lord speak these things and he obeyed. Right? So if you think your time with God is done, I would say it's not. Right? There's more to come. He didn't lay it all out, right? God didn't say, here's exactly how it's going to happen. Here's when that promise is going to come. That promise that his descendants would outnumber the stars, right? In fact, at this point, he had no biological children, none with his wife, especially. <laughs> um, and in Abraham's story, we, we do get a little insight that he and his wife tried to take matters into their own hands at one point. They started wondering, huh, getting older, you know, maybe should we start to help out the promises of God come to pass? Like, how can you be, have descendants more than the stars when you don't even have one? And so he did end up having um, a child at that point with his wife's slave. That's what they decided they would do, to try to help the promises of God come to pass. But we know that God had his plans, right? And they're often, more often than not, maybe always, Bigger than anything we could ever dream or imagine. Abraham just had to wait until he was 100 years old before he and Sarah would have their own son, Isaac, which would then you know, lead to Jacob, who would be renamed Israel, and so on. Now, just kind of let's reflect back, right? The Lord invited Abraham to move at 75 years old. And not until he was 100 did he and his wife have a child. So that's a long time. That's 25 years, right? For some in the room, that's your whole life. For some in the room, that's more than half your life. So you'd have to wait, right? So I I do hope that helps put into perspective that whatever we're waiting to see come to pass, God's timing is perfect. And sometimes we can get restless in the waiting, just like Abraham and his wife did, and we can, like them, try to take things into our own hands. Maybe we all have a testimony of how that happened, that has happened in our lives, and then when God speaks again or shows us again how we've gone a different way, 
yeah, he is faithful, right, to, to lead us. And even in those moments, he sees our hearts. And as we stay close to God, he'll continue to meet us with further wisdom, just like he did Abraham. And as we read about Abraham throughout Genesis, we see that he followed the Lord's voice countless, in countless circumstances, always leaning on the hope that the Lord would be faithful to his promises. And his obedience, Abraham's obedience, led to the Lord making a covenant or a promise with him that he would be a great nation. Because of Abraham's simple, or at times not so simple, but full of faith in the Lord, steps of obedience, a new nation was born, and the lineage of Christ continued on. To verse 3. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Okay, so in Abraham's story, it includes the audible voice of God. Cool. Some of you may be thinking, yeah, okay, well, if I was here and I could hear the audible voice of God, I would probably say yes, too, to everything that he asked me to do. Right? It would be easier, maybe, to say yes. And that might be true, I don't disagree with you here. And sometimes we, we do know that the Lord is really clear, right? And, and he lets us know his desire for circumstances and our actual role in them. And so it might be easier for, for us to say yes in those moments. And we can, I will also honor the fact that this is not always the case, right? Every time we are seeking his wisdom, it shows up differently. It looks differently. It sounds differently, but it is stated in the book of James that if we need wisdom, just ask, and he'll give it to us. So no matter what we think, the truth is the Lord does respond. But at times, it's not as audible as we may want. And so for this reason, it may be hard for you um, and for me at times to really resonate with Abraham, which is why right now we're going to pause and look and zoom in on Rahab. Because I think um, that most of us our moments with the Lord, and maybe even our status in society would be more relatable to her and her journey with God. So Rahab was a Canaanite woman, and her occupation was a prostitute, and she was working in or perhaps owned a brothel, um, which at the time was not a very well-esteemed place nor occupation. And during this time, um, Rahab's story is really this reminder that Jesus came to redeem all things. Right? So as we, as we read about her, just keep that in mind. Like her, the theme of her life is Jesus came to redeem all things, not just in her life, but also in yours and mine. Jesus' lineage includes people with what would be maybe deemed shameful past, right? but he didn't blot them out of history. He includes the fullness of their stories. Right? Just like he doesn't want to blot out our pasts, he wants to redeem them and restore us. So Rahab's life demonstrates to us that no matter our past, Jesus came, right? He came to renew, redeem, and restore the least glamorous parts of our lineage. He brings the hope for full restoration. 
And now Rahab was probably in extremely simple terms, right? She was a woman who made a significant decision to act based on her fear of the Lord. So as we read her story, in a sentence, that's, that's how I think of her, um, a woman who made a significant decision to act based on her fear of the Lord. And in Joshua chapter 2 is where we see the bulk of her story. We get a pretty clear sense that she didn't hear the audible voice of God, which maybe most of us can relate to, never yet hearing the audible voice of God, right? She simply heard of him from others and professed her belief. And not only did she profess it, which means she said it out loud with her mouth, but she acted in accordance with that belief that God is who he says he was. And she shows up during a time in the Israelites' history of trying to regain control of Jericho. Two men, they were sent there to to scope out the area, right, to see if it was ripe for the taking. And she had heard, again, she had just heard what God had done for the Israelites, and she knew when she saw the two men that the time was now for God to make good on his promise to give them that land. And she professed her belief to the two men with her mouth. She then protected them from the king of Jericho. She then gave them wise counsel on how to stay safe as they went back to prepare their army. Again, all of this from hearing of the Lord and having fear of him that he is exactly who he said he was. So her actions led to a promise coming true for the Israelites because they won the battle of Jericho in part because she protected the promises of God through her actions. Now, it, it does appear as we read about this that those two spies, those two men, they didn't need an entry strategy or a war strategy. The Lord would provide all of that later. But in that moment when they met Rahab, they needed to know that God had gone before them and prepared the way, which Rahab's verbal confirmation that the people of Jericho were afraid was exactly what the two men needed to know. It was time. And now there's way more to her story, but Rahab's inclusion in the lineage of Jesus indicates that her family was spared that day during the battle of Jericho, and God brought her into the lineage of Christ. She was a prostitute, right, with no humanly viewable reason to be of a stature worthy of inclusion of a lineage of such honor. But God honors the heart, right? He can redeem all people and circumstances. So as you're sitting here thinking about your own circumstances, your own lineage, your own blips that you wish were gone, don't wish them away. Invite him in to make them new. She was simply obedient, right? She learned of God's character. She believed. And when the opportunity to protect God's people literally came to her doorstep, right, she obeyed. Not because she heard his voice, but because she knew he was who he said he was, and she chose to serve him. She acted in obedience with the promises she knew were for the Israelites. And in turn, God protected her. And based on what we know and how she is in this lineage today, he did a redemptive work in her life through the generations to come after her. And that is also a promise for us. Jesus came so we may have full restoration in our lives. He came to redeem those things that we wish weren't there or that we try to hide still to this day. 
he came to restore them. Whatever was stolen, broken, destroyed, in those moments of your story, he came for those. And that is hope-filled news, right? It says in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they have my, may have life to the abundant, right? Right? It's like, but I, like the big but in the room, right? Jesus came so that we could have life in abundance. And he shows us throughout time that he invites us into his story many ways, sometimes very audibly. So if, if you do have experiences in that way, other times more discreetly. But again, generation after generation, we see his story. So Salmon married Rahab, and they gave birth to Boaz who married Ruth. They gave birth to Obed, the father of Jesse. In verse 6, we see Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah. And his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Okay, so we're going to start back, and we're going to go through each one, one by one, and tell you how I wrote their name phonetically. Just kidding. All right. Um, but I, I do apologize, as we do have to skip past many people. Zoom, zoom, okay? And they're, very, they're all significant, right? Or they wouldn't be written down. So I do just want to honor the fact that each of these people made choices, right? Just like the four that we've picked out. And because of their choices, the lineage continued in the way that it did. But we're going to pause at Mary and Joseph, who are two individuals very well known in the birth story of Jesus. And there is more to come on this in the weeks to come, so I'm not going to go deep. I don't want to steal anyone's thunder for future sermons. But we're going to pause here. Because people in this time, right, they were very aware of the prophecies of how the king of the Jews, the Messiah, was to be born unto earth to a virgin. And they were waiting for his arrival. They were looking for it looking for signs of it. Was it near? And as we approach Christmas Day, we too are invited to ponder the expectation of his coming as a baby. And today we're going to take heart of the obedience of Mary and Joseph during the moments that God made them aware of the role that they would play in the history of the world. So Mary's experience goes as follows in a very big paraphrase. So she was visited by Gabriel, who's an angel of the Lord, Right? And he, inf he informed her she was favored. And she's going to give birth to the son of the Most High. 
Naturally, she had some questions, right? So we see here that you can ask questions. When God invites you into things, you can ask questions. So she asked those questions of specifically related to how is this going to happen? And the angel responded, gave her enough insight to where she responded quickly and gave the Lord permission, saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled, which she said in Luke 138. And so God's plan was propelled forward. Now, at this time, we all know she was betrothed to be married to Joseph. And there's kids in the room. So what this means is that they couldn't be physically near each other to make a baby, right? So kind of impossible to have become pregnant by natural means. Which, I mean, unless she didn't do that with Joseph, right? So imagine the shock for Joseph to to hear of Mary becoming pregnant and... Perhaps his mind was wandering, thinking, how did that happen? Because he didn't know yet about this holy baby, right? And so he was pondering, how am I going to separate myself from Mary? He wanted to do it in a very honorable way. Then he went to bed, and an angel visited him during his nighttime dream, explaining that Mary was who they had heard about in the prophecies, right? The angel used very specific language that Joseph would have resonated with from those prophecies of long ago, letting him know that she was the virgin who would birth the Messiah. So he trusted the Lord, chose to stay with Mary, and awaited the coming of the king. Now, the magnitude of his obedience, I think, can only be grasped if we take hold of and understand what the punishment could have been or would have been um, for a premarital pregnancy for Mary. Right? If she had been exposed, she risked being stoned to death. Same would have happened for the baby, right? So in order for the birth of Christ to be seen through to completion, both Mary and Joseph had to be on board. So they're extremely not so simple, yes, to seeing through the birth of Jesus change the course of all future generations. And we do see throughout the generations that, again, God speaks in numerous ways. He speaks directly. He speaks through others, maybe while we're sleeping. And he has been speaking throughout history, inviting mankind to play significant roles in his story. And nowadays, we do have the benefit of looking back, right, and knowing the significance of this genealogy of Christ. Our hope is able to rest in the confidence of what has passed. He came to cleanse us of all our sins. Our hope is able to rest in what is happening now. He enters into our current situations to rescue, comfort us, restore us. And our hope can rest in what is still to come. He promises to return and all things may be completely restored. And each person in this list, right, started out just like you and I. Perhaps they had like different occupations and maybe different influential status. But don't forget, some were prostitutes with very little to their name that would make them seem worthy to be included in this lineage of the Son of God. So as we look back on all those before us whose simple obedience became the course of history, we wait patiently with high expectations that he is coming again. And I pray that we commune with him in such a way that we are asking for wisdom so our obedience may also positively impact the course of history. For all the generations to come. Again, waiting for his coming is not passive. He invites us, just like he invited them, 
to be a part of his story. Now, like Abraham's story, the ask he gives you may seem peculiar, or maybe you think you're too old to do X, Y, and Z. Or like Rahab, maybe you feel like a little bit of an outcast in whatever place he's put you right now or asked you to go. Or maybe sometimes it feels like your obedience or fear of the Lord is more out of desperation, right, than actually the fact that you're going to be part of a bigger plan. Or maybe you resonate more with Mary and Joseph, right? Maybe you have angelic visits in your, in your nighttime dreams and you've been wondering, is that God? Yep. Could be. Um, but if you, even if you don't resonate with anyone we talked about today, which there might be some of us in here that don't, the truth is still, no matter what you resonate with or don't, the truth is that his promises are for you. And the hope he promises is yours to claim for yourself But again, remember, it's not just about us, for also the generations to come. And again, this Advent season, we remember his coming as a baby, and we wait expectantly for his coming again. Because he does promise in the book of Revelation to come again and dwell with us, yes. (laughs) But what does he promise, right? He he promises he's going to dwell with us. He is going to wipe every tear from our eyes. I need to raise your hand if you're a crier. Yes! Okay. He's going to wipe every tear from our eyes, but he's also seen all the ones we've cried so far, which I feel like I have, like, a feeding trough of tears. Okay. But he's also going to eliminate death, mourning, crying, and pain. And the things of now will pass away, and he will make all things new. So our hope lies in what's already been accomplished through him, as well as what his coming will bring. Right? So your hope doesn't end. On the days where we feel hopeless, he says it like our hope is not to end. And so I do, do just pray that, yeah, that the generations that will be blessed by your obedience is something that you think about today. And as we think about those who said yes before us, we just reflect on how their obedience has shaped our lives. And I do, I'm going to invite the band back up because I want our response time really to just to be a time of celebration today. Um, celebrating the impact that someone else's yes to Jesus had on your life, as well as the impact your own yes to Jesus has had on your life and the ones to come. Because if you have put your trust in Christ, being who he says he is, that is something to celebrate, because it means all the promises contained in the word of God are for you. His hope is for you. We have been adopted into the kingdom of God through Christ, and that is something to celebrate. Because the coming of the Messiah changed the course of our lives for all of eternity. And there is hope in him. So, let's celebrate.